part of your autonomic nervous system is not responding appropriately to a change in your posture. Like going from lying down to standing up, your body is not having a proper response to that. So basically the response should be that your vessels should constrict. If the vessels stay relaxed and loose, your blood is not going to flow effectively and quickly enough. Your body then tries to compensate for your vessels not constricting by instead increasing your heart rate, and that's called tachycardia. The first time I clearly remember fainting was in sixth grade. I don't know if it was the beginning or the end of the school year, but it was really hot outside and we were going to do this event called Color Day. And I just remember I started feeling like really dizzy and I like fell down in the field. I kind of did this like, I tried to sit down very quickly, but I fell down. And I remember one of the teachers asked another student to walk with me to the nurse's office when I did get back up because nobody really knew what was going on but I just remember like everything getting all like black and fuzzy and feeling so dizzy and sweaty and that was that and then I can remember wanting to avoid a repeat of that so anytime I would start to feel my heart race or I'd get sweaty like I was maybe going to pass out I would just lie down or sit down and just take it easy for a minute so sixth grade I want to say I was like around 11 years old then there was another time where I was was I think 15 years old and I tried to go on a hiking trip in New Hampshire. All of my like shittiest memories <laughs> and experiences are from New Hampshire or are in some way related to New Hampshire. So yeah, anyway. So I tried to go on this hiking trip in New Hampshire because my brother had done it and he had all these cool experiences. And like one time he and the people that he was with, they saw a bear. He said the bear was so close to them that he could smell it. And I'm like, oh wow, yeah, I want to do that. I want to almost get killed by a bear. That sounds really fun. (laughs) No, honestly, I love the woods. I always have. But this hiking trip was so difficult. I didn't make it. I mean, I don't know. It was just everything. I have always been someone who looks physically fit, but I'm unable to like do the things that I look like I should be able to do, like wear a pack, like a backpack and hike up a mountain or whatever. I could not do that. They had to take me back down. I was unable to catch my breath. I thought maybe it was some kind of asthma situation. I know I was going to die. It was horrible. And everybody was mad at me because I was like holding everyone up and all of that. It was a terrible experience. Okay, so it started from what I remember around 11 years old. And then at 15, I had a similar experience. I didn't pass out, but I was unable to keep up with normal activity, you could say. Then again, this happened to me when I was on a trip in Italy, and this was when I was about 21. And then again, whenever I would get pregnant, I would just feel so horrible and I would really have to lie down. My heart would be racing out of control. I'd be sweating profusely. So I told my OB about this. And with my second pregnancy, I remember her telling me, oh, it's mind over matter. You just have to get up and push yourself because I was in college at the time and I was missing a lot of classes because I'd get up in the morning and I felt like I just could not get out of bed. Like I would get up and shower and then after the shower I like could barely catch my breath. And I'm like, if this is what pregnancy is like, like this is awful. But it wasn't the pregnancy. 
pregnancy. It wasn't morning sickness or whatever. It was this extreme fatigue and the inability to do normal things. So my OB, she didn't really know what I was talking about. And she was like, it's mind over matter. Like first she diagnosed me with some kind of depression or something. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm depressed. Maybe that's why I can't get up. But I know it was not depression. Yeah, not being able to function physically can be depressing, but depression was not the root of my problem, clearly, because like I'm giving you a little history here. This situation started when I was pretty young. She says it's mind over matter, and I'm like, yeah, I'm a tough bitch. I can I can do this. So I forced myself to get up and go to school, and it was so damn embarrassing. I was in anatomy and physiology class, and we were supposed to be dissecting a cat, and yeah, it smelled like formaldehyde, and I was pregnant, and it was like so bad or whatever. I could tell things were spiraling downward very quickly, so I tried to excuse myself to the bathroom. I never made it to the bathroom. I don't remember there being anyone else in the halls. I just remember hitting my head on the wall or something, and then I must have fallen to the ground from there because when I opened my eyes, people were standing around me. It was so embarrassing. They were like, don't get up. We're gonna call the ambulance, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst. I was less concerned about my health because I had experienced this before. I was just so mortified. Like, how long was I laying there? Who found me? Was my mouth hanging open? Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, like so embarrassing. So what is the issue? I learned recently, like within the last few years, actually since COVID, I think that it's called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome or POTS for short, P-O-T-S. So this postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, the postural part has to do with your posture. Orthostatic means relating to or caused by an upright posture. They're basically saying your upright posture is causing tachycardia, which is an increase in your heart rate. So I'm going to share some more information that might help you determine whether you or someone you know might be struggling with some of these symptoms and what to do about it. I don't want to give you the impression that I found some magic cure, but there are some ways to better manage it and there are some things to look out for so you don't embarrass yourself like I did and pass out in a public place. And the other thing is that, like I said, I had an OB that told me it was mind over matter when I had an actual physical problem. So don't let people convince you that there's nothing wrong with you when you know that you actually have a physical problem. Another physical problem that I have is my skin condition, which flares up when the weather is bad. Like if a storm rolls in or whatever, for some reason, it's very painful for me to stand on my feet or use my hands. Generally, when the weather is bad like this, I just have to take it easy. I'm going to share this article with my commentary because I think it very clearly explains what POTS is and some things that you can do about it. And of course, there's obviously a lot more to know, but this article does a pretty good job. It's called Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome, POTS, and the author is Frank Gargiano, DPT, OCS. The clinical presentation of a patient with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome can not only be challenging, but at times frustrating. For physical therapists, POTS is a relatively new diagnosis. It is commonly diagnosed in conjunction with other pathologies such as migraine, cervical pain, dizziness, imbalance or disequilibrium, and chronic fatigue 
syndrome. There are several reports suggesting that there may be a great deal of overlap between postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and chronic fatigue syndrome. The purpose of this paper is to introduce the pathophysiology of the condition and basic management principles. To better understand the pathophysiology of POTS, a brief discussion of the autonomic nervous system is necessary. I'm going to explain what the autonomic nervous system is it sounds complicated, but it's not super complicated. The autonomic nervous system is divided into three subsystems. And the autonomic part of it should tell you that it's going to happen on its own. It's not something that you control, right? So we're talking about the autonomic nervous system and its three subsystems. The three subsystems are the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, and the enteric nervous system. So the sympathetic nervous system is is active for like emergency situations. This is like your fight or flight response. The sympathetic nervous system is also responsible for producing bodily responses such as pupil dilation, increase in heart rate, reduction in digestive function, and increase in conversion of glycogen to glucose. So these are things that your body does automatically without you having to think about it. You don't think about dilating your pupils. It just happens. So that's all the sympathetic nervous system. And we know the sympathetic nervous system is part of the autonomic nervous system. The other two parts are the parasympathetic and the enteric. The parasympathetic nervous system is involved in non-emergency situations. These are the things that allow us to rest and digest. So the sympathetic nervous system is associated with fight or flight responses and the parasympathetic nervous system is associated with rest and digest or non-emergency responses. The parasympathetic nervous system produces bodily responses such as pupil constraints restriction, reduction in heart rate, increased saliva production, and digestion. When you're rested, when things are calm, your pupils don't need to be so dilated, your heart rate doesn't need to be so elevated, and this is when the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in and kind of brings everything down to a rest and digest sort of state. Lastly, the enteric nervous system assists in the control of the viscera. So this is your gastrointestinal tract, your pancreas, and your gallbladder. That's what your enteric nervous system would control. Postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, I'm going to refer to it as POTS from here forward. POTS, by definition, is the failure of the peripheral vascular system to appropriately vasoconstrict under orthostatic stress. And what that means is basically part of your autonomic nervous system is not responding appropriately to a change in your posture. Like going from lying down to standing up, your body is not having a proper response to that. So basically the response should be that your vessels should constrict. If the vessels stay relaxed and loose, your blood is not going to flow effectively and quickly enough. Your body then tries to compensate for your vessels not constricting by instead increasing your heart rate and that's called tachycardia. So the increase in heart rate is clinically defined as a heart rate increase of 30 beats per minute or more when you go from lying down to standing up within 10 minutes or less. There are some people who believe that POTS represents the earliest sign of autonomic dysfunction and that some patients, like around 10%, will later progress to having autonomic system failure. Many of these patients can also be misdiagnosed as suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome. There are several reports suggesting that there may be a great deal of overlap between chronic fatigue syndrome and POTS. The 
These are some of the suspected causes of POTS. Doctors and medical professionals don't have all the answers yet, but they've noticed some associations and they think that they could be causes, but we don't know. Some of the suspected causes of POTS are viral or bacterial infections, and I know this to be true because my POTS symptoms are way worse after I've just gotten over a cold or a flu, and when I really started digging for information about this was around the time when I had COVID, because I thought I was going to die. I thought I would never be able to stand up again because every time I stood up, the dizziness was just out of control. So viral and or bacterial infections are one suspected cause. Changes in blood volume, which they call hypovolemia. Exposure to toxic chemicals. It could just be genetically inherited. There could be damage to the vagus nerve or the spinal cord. There could be spinal canal stenosis, particularly in the upper cervical spine. So this would be like a narrowing that would be putting pressure on your spinal cord. Other causes could be diabetes, alcoholism, or a Chiari 1 malformation. A Chiari malformation is a structural defect in the cerebellum, so it's a defect in your brain. The hallmark of POTS is persistent or recurrent tachycardia while upright. This can be associated with severe fatigue, near syncope or syncope, and that is fainting, exercise intolerance, lightheadedness, or dizziness. So what I forgot to mention is that after that incident where I tried to hike up the mountain and it did not work out, my doctor was concerned about why I had so much trouble and I actually got a note. I got excused from having to do gym class after that. Thankfully, I didn't have to do gym in high school. (laughs) I walked to school every day. I was pretty healthy and fit in that way, but I do think that if I had tried to like exert myself in gym class running around, that would have been very hard for me. POTS patients may complain of always feeling cold while at the same time they are unable to tolerate extreme heat. This perfectly describes me. I'm literally in a warm sweater with a bathrobe over it and I have my heated blanket but occasionally I feel like I get too warm and then I start sweating and if I don't get my layers off quickly enough or get to a cool area quickly enough then I'm gonna have those awful symptoms and I'm sorry I keep saying it feels like I'm dying but it's like some Sometimes when that passing out feeling comes on and I don't pass out, I don't know how to describe the feeling. It's not pain. It's maybe the worst nausea you ever felt without actually throwing up. Everything's spinning. You can't think straight. You feel like everything is wrong. Even though it says your heart's beating fast, sometimes I feel like it's just beating weird. Like it's beating slow and then fast and really fast and then not at all. I don't know. It's so confusing and uncomfortable and stressful. And then it just goes away whenever it wants to, but it is a response to me feeling overheated oftentimes. Stomach discomfort is common because digestion can be affected, and I have a lot of gastro symptoms. When the brain does not receive adequate blood circulation, it will shunt blood away from the stomach, creating digestive difficulty. Shortness of breath, memory disturbances, blurred vision, lower extremity paresthesia, sweating, and vertiginous episodes when transitioning from lying 
pain to standing, and eye pain with a feeling of pressure behind the eyes. I have experienced all of these symptoms, the shortness of breath, memory disturbances, blurred vision, paresthesia is the pins and needles. They're saying that you're likely to get the pins and needles in your lower extremities, and I get that a lot. Sweating and vertiginous episodes when transitioning from lying to standing, definitely. So the vertiginous episodes is like the dizziness, it's like vertigo. Eye pain with a feeling of pressure behind the eyes. I get that a lot. It's hard to tell whether it's my coffee craving or if it's part of the POTS, but yeah. Another important characteristic of POTS is low blood pressure. Although this is not a requirement, some patients can have hypertension or high blood pressure. My blood pressure is always low. They say it's healthy low, but I can tell that it's a little too low sometimes because I just feel weak and dizzy when I get up and all that. The presence of low blood pressure does not impact intelligence, but it does impact a person's ability to think clearly and concentrate. The effect on concentration is usually intermittent and brief, and it's related to the amount of blood getting to the brain. The reason that people have dramatic changes in their heart rate is their body is attempting to compensate for the drop in their blood pressure by increasing the heart rate. The increased stress on the heart is one of the reasons why POTS patients complain of significant fatigue and a general feeling of being washed out. The severity of a patient's symptoms will vary. Some patients with POTS can feel perfectly normal and have few symptoms. At other times, symptoms can be so severe, patients are forced to lie down for the entire day, unable to function. POTS is a chronic disease that often waxes and wanes, but is always present to some extent on a daily basis. The pathophysiology of POTS can be described in simpler terms. Consider the human body as a fluid-filled bag. When lying down, the fluid is evenly distributed throughout. Upon rising from supine to standing, there is a gravity-induced downward displacement of approximately 25-30% to 30% of the blood volume to the abdomen and dependent extremities. Up to 50% of this displacement occurs within the first few seconds of standing. This rapid redistribution of central blood volume reduces the venous return to the heart. This is the cardiac filling pressure. The heart cannot pump what it does not receive. The stroke volume, the amount of blood the heart pumps, declines approximately 40%. The result is a reduced amount of blood volume to the brain and production of numerous symptoms which we've already talked about. The sympathetic nervous system attempts to respond immediately to these changes by doing three things. One, increasing the heart rate, which is called tachycardia. Two, increasing the force of the heart's contractions. And then three, dilating the blood vessels in the lower extremities. The medical management of POTS is pharmacologically designed medication intended to regulate blood pressure and normalize blood volume. Diagnostics such as head upright tilt table testing may be performed prior to prescribing these medications. And this head upright tilt table testing is also referred to as HUT. The HUT is a passive orthostatic stress test that's used to evoke autonomic reflexes and vascular responses. The patient is secured lying down on a table that slowly elevates to an angle between 60 to 90 degrees from horizontal for 10 to 45 minutes. The physiological response to this positional change is closely monitored. Clinically, the HUT table test is not particularly accurate due to a significant number of false positives. These are symptoms that are produced during the test but are not true POTS, and this can happen with this HUT test. So what can you do about POTS? 
While there are a number of non-pharmacological treatments that have low risk and considerable potential benefits, increasing salt intake is often the safest first method to try to improve orthostatic tolerance. A high salt diet should only be tried under the recommendation and supervision of a physician. Adding extra salt to your diet will increase your blood volume and blood pressure by increasing fluid retention, but the benefits are variable and may only be transient. It might only be a temporary fix to the problem. Patients suffering from POTS often have a measurably reduced blood volume, and this is called hypovolemia. Increasing fluid intake is necessary for the salt to expand the blood volume, so in addition to increasing your salt intake, you should also be drinking more water. You need to increase your fluid intake. This will usually occur spontaneously because when you increase your salt intake, it's going to probably make you thirstier and you will more likely just automatically drink more water, but you should be mindful of that as well. The use of supportive stockings may help reduce the pooling of blood into the lower extremities while standing, and increasing lower extremity muscle tone has a similar effect on reducing blood pooling and venous dilation, so start doing those squats and stuff. A patient with severe symptoms may find any amount of exercise difficult, but slow, progressive increases over time can improve exercise tolerance. This is so true, so true. A physical therapist can design a program to meet the specific needs of this patient population. So if you're having trouble even getting out of bed, then I would say you should try and speak with a physical therapist. And if you happen to be in a position where you don't have access to that kind of medical care, then do some research because there are physical therapists like licensed medical professionals who share their wisdom on YouTube and stuff like that. So seek and you may find. Okay, so here are a few tips. I'm gonna get into four suggestions or tips that might assist in managing symptoms that are related to POTS. One, avoid eating heavy meals. Overloading your stomach decreases orthostatic tolerance by drawing blood to the digestive tract and away from the main arteries that feed the brain. I agree with this. I think fasting can be helpful for a number of reasons, and then when you do eat, I think it's just a good idea in general not to eat big, heavy meals. I've noticed that I tend to feel terrible. It used to be worse like when I was a teenager and for some reason right now I'm not in like a gastro flare, that's what I call it, where like I'm in severe pain every single day. So thankfully that's not the right now for me. But I used to avoid eating during the day and I would just eat before I went to sleep because it would cause so much like upset stomach and I would just feel terrible whenever I would eat. I used to say that certain times were just non-eating times and I think that's when like maybe my pots was worse or something, but I guess that's how I've stayed kind of thin a lot. Food makes me feel bad. So another suggestion or tip, number two, during the day, it is best to rest in a recliner chair rather than lying flat in bed. And this is because constant bed rest decreases your orthostatic tolerance. Even though you might feel better lying down, it's actually going to make your problem worse overall. An example of this can be seen in astronauts. Astronauts often develop a temporary form of orthostatic tachycardia or rapid heart rate upon returning to earth due to the deconditioning effect of weightlessness, which is quite similar to prolonged bed rest. Exercising can be done even when lying in bed by isometrically contracting and then relaxing the muscles in the arms and legs. It is very difficult to regain muscle mass once it is lost, so it's important to avoid becoming deconditioned. The third tip is to avoid working with your arms over your head or lifting heavy objects 
or climbing stairs. And make sure you take frequent breaks and ask for help when you need it. And the last tip, number four, is that warm temperatures can have a negative effect on exercise tolerance. Heat dilates your blood vessels and diverts blood to the skin, which reduces blood flow in key arteries that feed the brain. Air conditioning in warm weather is essential, especially when exercising. This is true because I like to take hot showers because I'm always cold and it just feels so cozy, but after a certain point, I have to turn the temperature down to cool or I can feel my heart racing. I can feel myself like, I don't know how you can feel yourself getting sweaty in the shower, but it's a thing and I can feel it. I've actually nearly passed out in the shower, which is very dangerous. I can remember like lying on the bathroom floor and thinking my life was over on several occasions. It's important to be mindful of like not allowing your body to get too hot. Another thing that I can't tolerate is like being in a hot tub. It's nice for like a minute and then I'll be the one sitting on the edge like trying to cool off because it's just too much for me. Many POTS patients have little success and considerable frustration in attempting to get relief for their symptoms. Dr. Blair Grubb from the Medical College of Ohio has an interesting way of explaining the frustration of treatment for this condition. Think of your brain like the thermostat in your home. Once it is set, it automatically maintains that temperature and you no longer have to think about it. But if the furnace was not putting out the heat needed to keep the home at the set temperature, you would think something was wrong with the furnace because all you know is that you are cold. If the repairman came in and checked your furnace, he would find that it is working normally. The reality is the repair person or medical specialist has to understand the heating system well enough to know to also check the thermostat, the control center. Most importantly, he would have to know how to fix the thermostat. This is an interesting analogy because most physicians just want to try to fix the furnace. That is all they have been trained to do. They may never give much thought to the thermostat, the control center. It can be very difficult to find healthcare providers trained to understand and manage the whole problem. This is why many patients with POTS are frustrated and never truly experience a therapeutic resolution. POTS is an entity of varied etiologies and until a better understanding of the pathophysiology is achieved, treatments are essentially empirical. Fortunately though, ongoing research is being conducted and treatment protocols continue to develop. I hope that helped you to understand a little bit more about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and I really hope it's not something that you're dealing with, but if it happens to be, then maybe you can relate to some of the experiences that I shared and hopefully you can use some of these tips to help you feel better and live a more functional life because sometimes I feel like all I do is try to manage my symptoms <laughs> and it can be really frustrating and defeating especially when you are super motivated to do all of the things you love to do and you just don't have the energy to do them. That can feel really defeating so I can see how a healthcare professional might describe that as a form of depression but I think depression would be the lack of motivation, not feeling motivated but physically unable. Anywho, thank you so very much for listening to my podcast. My name is Andrea and this is Path of a Greenwich Podcast. Thank you for listening.